You're listening to the Renew Life Church podcast. We hope this message inspires you and challenges you to become a true disciple of Jesus. To find out more about us, go to renewlifechurch.com. All right, how's everybody doing this morning? You got your fantasy football lineup set? Got the last minute subs put in there. I promise you, I'm 100% focused right now. I'm not thinking about fantasy football. But, uh, how many guys Cowboys fans? <laughs> Y'all been praying a lot this morning because you know who you're playing today. So um, we'll see how that works out for everyone. But uh, good to be here in case you're new. Uh, my name is Braden, and I'm the lead pastor here at Renew Life Church. And just always fun to be back. Uh, you guys have incredible pastors in Cody and Stacy. Can we give Cody and Stacy a hand clap? Just so excited that uh, they said yes, because we, uh, we handed the church off to them three years ago, moved to Lubbock, planted, helped, plant, helped Keith and Natalie actually plant the, the Lubbock campus. And uh, I've got some good things going. Haven't even announced this to the Lubbock church yet, but since uh, I'm sure none of y'all will tell them, we actually bought a building this week. And uh, so... Um, this last week closed on a building. Actually, it was two weeks ago. But this week, I got some of the initial drawings back. And so uh, moving forward with our Lubbock, uh, our Lubbock campus and have some really cool things coming down the pipe. We've got a couple other campuses that we're thinking about uh, right now and when they're, when they're going to be planted. Have for the, I mean, I'll just give you a little secret. But there's an international campus that just kind of showed up on the radar. There's a chance we may, uh, may be looking outside the original, the original seven. So always fun to hear uh, what God's doing for years. We've always said uh, we're not as much visionaries or I'm not as much of a visionary as I think I get credit for, but I really love people. And so when people come into our world uh, and there's something on their heart, I'm like, well, if it's, this is on your heart, well, it's on my heart now too, because I kind of like you. So uh, I, I just love how the Lord has done that. So uh, just super excited to, to be here. Just want you to know that you're a part of something that's pretty special. I've been, been a church kid my whole life and uh, been in and out of different kinds of churches and styles of churches and seen some things. But man, I just, I, I absolutely love that this is my church too, that I get to call this, this home. And, and we were talking, one of our service coordinators was talking about how he had just spent I don't know, 14 days overseas and uh, just traveling overseas. And the best part of his, his two-week vacation, if you will, was coming home and being a part of his home church uh, back here in Midland, Texas. And I'm like, man, you thought Midland was better than Europe? I mean, yeah. huh, you do have the spirit in you or something. But, uh, anyway, no, it's just, it's just super cool. But uh, excited about the message today. Uh, I'm just going to warn you ahead of time. This is a lot more meat than it is milk. And so uh, I just want you to do your neighbor a favor and say, buckle your seatbelt because we're finna go for some stuff. You got your Bible, turn to Galatians chapter one and we will just, we'll dive right in. Um, it's, it's just a passion of mine and I, actually it's really more my job anymore. Uh, my, my, my number one role, I don't spend as much time uh, feeding the sheep, if you will, uh, but really just trying to keep my, my heart to heaven and hear what the Lord would have us do next and where he would have us go and uh, define the direction, the temperature of the organization, the culture of the organization. And that's really where I spend the bulk of my, uh, my energy. And I've just really felt lately that, uh, just really impressed that I, I want us to be a tough church. Uh, I actually want us to be tough. I, I, I don't like weakness. I don't like the thought of weak Christians. I want Christians that are bold. I want believers that are bold and strong. I want them to actually know what they believe. Uh, that your kids are being told so many things when they go to school. I want us to be strong in the areas of what we know, what we should know, so that our kids are not going to school armed with what they think, but they're armed with what they know. And so uh, I think there's a, there for a while has been a little, um, inadvertently maybe, just a lack of strength in, in, in some of the Christian churches, there's an emasculation of men where, uh, you know, I won't even get into some of that, but we just, I, I want us to be strong and I have a desire for us to have strong kids, uh, strong, have strong leaders, just strong churches. And um, so that's a bit about what this message is, it's just helping us identify sometimes in scripture, uh, you know, oftentimes the, the gospel it, the, the gospel is meek, but the gospel is not weak. And, and sometimes we just need to look a little closer and make sure we're not, we're not missing the strength of it. 
Um, so anyway, that's kind of what my, my plan is today. I'll start with just giving you a little bit of a, we're gonna talk about Paul uh, and, and, and read out of Galatians chapter one where Paul's actually sharing his testimony with the, the church there in Galatia. But a little backstory of Paul, you would probably already know this, but uh, when Paul found the Lord, Paul was not in pursuit of God. God showing up in Paul's life was not a, uh, was not a um, harvest of faith in Paul's life. Paul was not sensitive or tender towards the things of God. He was actually the exact opposite. And when Paul had his road to Damascus experience, he was actually on the way to meet with the high priest to get religious um, documentation from the high priest that actually gave him more authority to capture Christians if he heard them saying certain things. And so this was a guy, even on his journey, uh, or, or when he encountered the Lord for the first time, was actually on his way to, to be more uh, anti-God, if you will. And so uh, I, wanna, I wanna share this story with you. In Galatians chapter one, this is a bit of Paul sh- sharing his testimony with the church in Galatia. It says, but even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. And so uh, he has this radical encounter, gives his life to the Lord uh, and uh, immediately began to proclaim the good news, just like he said. When this happened, notice what he says here. He says, when this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human beings. It's, Im- it's imperative that we understand that the, those words right there were strategic strategically placed in there by the Holy Spirit himself, by the hands of Paul, but by the mind of Christ, by the mind of God, that he wanted us to know that part of Paul's journey was that immediately after encountering him, he did not go consult with another human being about what, I, what he had, had happened to him. Verse 17, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went away into Arabia and I later, later returned to the city of Damascus. Then three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter and I stayed with him for 15 days. The only other apostle I met with at this time was James, the Lord's brother. I declare before God that what I'm writing to you is not a lie. I just find that interesting. He wants you to be very certain. I'm not lying. This is exactly how this all went down. Uh, Verse 21 says, after that visit, I went north into the provinces of Syria and Sicily uh, or, or Cilicia And still the churches in Christ that are in Judea didn't know me personally. All they knew was that people were saying, the one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. So just a little bit of what just happened here. Paul says that I had this encounter with God. And if you had had an encounter with God, um, similar to one that Paul had where he just shows up, a voice starts talking to you. You don't see anyone, but you hear the voice. Even, Even the fact uh, he had people with him to validate this story. They also heard this voice and, and knew that this was pretty supernatural. His eyes were blinded. There was this whole prophetic thing that happened where this guy shows up and prays for him. The scales fell off of his eyes. I mean, his, his salvation story was uh, pretty significant and pretty clear that no, there's, there is a God and he's speaking to me and this is, this is real. And so he had a pretty radical experience. But after that, and after that radical experience, for whatever reason, Paul saw no reason to try to connect with the other apostles, connect with the other people that had been preaching this message. In fact, he wanted you to know very clearly that I consulted with no one. And I went on and I, and I immediately began to do the work of the ministry and do what God had called me to do. There was this one time where I showed up in Jerusalem to spend some time with Peter, got to know him, said he spent about 15 days with him. And then he wanted you to know that there was a choice conversation or, or ha- happened, to meet, happened to meet James. But this was not uh, this big meeting where he came to meet the disciples. It wasn't that, it was just this kind of chance encounter. Now, we're gonna keep reading in Galatians chapter two because something happens to Paul and he wants the church in Galatia to hear this. He says then 14 years later, so if you do the math, he had gone on his, he tells this story. He, he had his encounter with the Lord, three years passed. He went to the, met with the disciples and then there was another 14 years. So you're, you're probably looking at about a 17 year period of time here. 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again. This time with Barnabas and Titus came along. I went there because, because God had revealed to me that I should go. Now, 
you would understand this. If you had been doing something for 17 years, how many of you guys would agree? You've probably got some things figured out by now. If you've been in the same line of business, the same line of work, doing the same thing for 17 straight years, at this point, in fact, in our modern culture, you'd be considered an expert in a lot of ways by some people in your area if you had given 17 years of your life in this one direction. But I want you to see something that's going on in Paul's life here. He says, I went there, not just because I had some idea. No, God revealed to me something and told me that I should go. He says, while I was there, I met privately with those considered to be leaders of the church. And I shared with them the message that I had been preaching to the Gentiles. And I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement for fear that all of my efforts had been wasted and I was running the race for nothing. And they supported me and did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised. Uh, good for Titus, uh, though he was a Gentile. That would be a bad day at work if all of a sudden you said yes to a job and then he's like, oh, by the way, um, I quit. <laughs> so, this, I, I, I've been on this, this topic for, for a while now, so you'll have to just forgive me because this is kind of like, it's really big on the inside of me and what the Lord is, has shown me in this. But you got this guy, Paul. This is, so, this is no lightweight. We're talking about the apostle Paul himself who, who God saw fit to use to write two-thirds of the New Testament. This dude's a heavy hitter. He has a phenomenal encounter with God, a, 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 a crazy encounter with God that was so real to him. And it, the, the the encounter was so real and the purpose on his life was so revealed to him that he goes immediately and begins to preach the gospel. And he wanted you to know, according to scripture, he wanted you to know that, and when he did this, he wasn't joining a team. He didn't sign up. He didn't plug into a local church. He, he just couldn't stand it. He had to go and he began to do what he felt like God had called him to do. And he did this for 17 years. And then 17 years, when so many other people after 17 years would start to become more certain that they knew what God was saying, more certain in what that they were doing. All of a sudden, by the revelation of God, a holy fear comes, of, comes over Paul that, oh my goodness, I hope I've been preaching the right message. I hope that I've been preaching. I hope that my message has been pure. I hope that my message has been true. Can I just say, what an act of humility that 17 years into his journey, he didn't think he had figured it out. He was more aware that there was so much more that he didn't know, that he was no longer okay being a lone ranger, that he came in private and he submitted himself and even uses the language until he, I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement. All of a sudden in Paul's life, it wasn't about me, it was about we. He was no longer okay with the fact I've had an encounter, I know God, I know what he's saying, and I'm gonna preach what he tells me to preach. It's all of a sudden, wait a minute, there are other people out there who have also had encounters with God, who have different perspective, different angles, different levels of knowledge. Like the scripture says, we all know in part, prophesy in part. Paul had come to this revelation and had grown into this idea that I cannot do this alone anymore. I cannot do this alone anymore. Here's my point. It takes spiritual maturity to realize that you need spiritual family. Sometimes it's, it, it's, a, it's a, I don't know if it's an American thing, a flesh, I'm not really sure what the combination is, but it's almost like the more we learn, the more we grow, the less we think someone, we need someone else to tell us anything. It's like, hang on. When I'm, when I'm young, other people's opinion, other people's things, that's one thing. But the older I get, the more certain I am of what I know. Well, Paul was the opposite. Paul was the opposite. And I propose to you that real maturity, as you're growing up into Christ Jesus, you're growing low in your soul. You're growing more and more humble, more and more aware of what you don't know and how much you don't just need God, you need the God in other people if you're ever gonna fulfill the call of God on your life or even see Jesus how he really is. There's deep conviction in this church and why we do home churches and why we spend so much time on some of this stuff because we want you to come together because we fully believe that we are the body of Christ with different parts, many members, and we'll never fully see Jesus if we're isolated. Do you understand that if you do not plug into spiritual family, you will never see Jesus for who he really is? And that is so, um, 
that just, for some people, that, that independent spirit, it violates something on the inside of you. It's like, are you saying I don't know Jesus? No, I'm not saying you don't know Jesus. Just like I'm not saying Paul did not have an encounter with Jesus. I'm reading the scriptures. And Paul realized after 17 years of doing it alone that there was more to the things of God than doing it alone. And it was spiritual family. He needed spiritual family. And after 17 years, he didn't just go and connect to spiritual family. He submitted his life to it. He submitted his message. And he's like, look, I know I've done some things. I've planted some churches, seen some miracles and all that. But here's what I've been preaching. Here's what I'm saying. Leaders of the church, tell me, is this right? This is, this is literally one of my life's messages. So much of why I'm where I'm at today, not that I'm saying I've attained anything yet, but what I'm saying is where I'm at today is because I had amazing people in my life that I went and said, I'm submitted to you. I'm following you. Paul, Paul references this later in scripture. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. My question is, have you actually embraced the concept of spiritual family? Have you plugged in to spiritual family? Have you taken advantage of the things that this church has to offer where there are home church pastors that have attained some things, have learned some things, and it's like, hang on, what if we all come together? Is there a chance I'll see more of Jesus in community than I will in isolation? That's what Paul saw. Paul realized, oh my gosh, there's, there's so much more to this. There's so much more to this. It's not saying that you haven't experienced some things and that your encounters with God have not been real, but a Christian in isolation is an immature Christian. A Christian not connected to the body is an immature Christian. I'm not saying they don't know Jesus. I'm not saying they don't love him. I'm not saying they don't have a call of God on their life. I'm telling you someone that thinks that they, you know, I've, I've had people say this. I told this in the first service. I grew up in, in, a, in a cowboy church and there were a lot of uh, cowboys who, one of the things that they would say is that they'd say things like, um, well, me and Jesus got a deal. I don't have to go to church to know Jesus. I, I have church on my horse. I have church out in the pasture. I, have church. I don't need the church to have a relationship with God. How many, you get, how many even here would say, I know people who think I don't need the church, I just need God. It's a real thing. It, it's actually a real thing. And I'm telling you, it's, this is not about do you know God or not. It's about have you experienced the fullness of him. And the apostle Paul knew him and encountered him big time. He wasn't questioning whether he knew God or not. He was questioning, was there more? Is there more? And I'm telling you, inside spiritual family, there's more for you than you will ever experience in isolation. Story goes on. In fact, we're gonna, switch. We're gonna go to Acts chapter nine. This is the same story. Paul, we're gonna kind of pick up in the timeline. I had to do a little bit of research to see how to put Galatians 1 and 2 in line with Acts chapter 9, but this is kind of about where Acts chapter 9 picks up, uh, and this is just more detail to the, to the story. He, he shares some things, and the writer shares some things in Acts 9 that we don't see in Galatians. Uh, it says in verse 26, and when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. So right here when it's saying Paul went to Jerusalem and tried to join the disciples. It was the encounter I was telling you about early where he had had this revelation from God and he was going to submit his teachings. It was this trip where this was. Now notice, Paul had a humble heart. He had the right, he had a word from God. The Lord had revealed to him that he should go and submit himself. He was low, he was accurate, he was humble, yet he was still facing resistance because of his past, if you will. Anybody else in this room ever been in the situation? I know I have been regularly where it's like, Lord, I feel like I'm doing things the right way, but I'm not getting the right results. Anybody else? It's like, something's not adding up here. And I would, I would propose that's exactly what's going on in this situation. Paul wants to submit. He wants to go low. He wants to connect to spiritual family. It says, but they're not believing. They didn't believe that he was a disciple. Verse 27, but Barnabas. It's a great couple of words here. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. Can I just say this? We all need a Barnabas in our life. Every single person in this room, we need a Barnabas in our life. Because here's what happened. Barnabas saw the God inside this person. 
Barnabas saw the God inside Paul. He wasn't judging Paul according to the flesh. He was seeing Paul according to the spirit. Some of you in here, the things you've done in the natural should disqualify you from a lot of things. But I would propose that the God on the inside of you qualifies you for a lot of things. Your behavior, your past, your record, your criminal record should say, nope. But the God on the inside of you made in his likeness and image says, yes. Every single person in this room, you need someone to see you in the spirit, not in the flesh. And to speak to you and to prophesy you over the things in a way that you're calling those things that be not as though they were. You're speaking to the things that maybe even hadn't happened yet. You're speaking to their divine destiny. You're seeing them through spiritual eyes instead of natural eyes. You need someone that calls out the gold that's on the inside of you. Barnabas was in this situation where he realized, hey, don't judge this man by his history. He has a prophetic destiny. And every single one of us in this room, we need someone like that in our lives. Some of you in this room, I, I, I felt like I was supposed to prophesy. I prophesied this in Lubbock. I'm gonna prophesy over you today. Some of you in this room are unknown at this point in your life. You're unrespected, you're unknown. No one listens to you, but there's something on the inside of you. And God is sending a Barnabas to recognize the God on the inside of you and call you up in Jesus' name. Some of you, I, the Lord just said this, some of you have never been listened to by your family. You're, you're the David of your family. It's like, hey, could you go take care of the sheep while we have a conference with the prophet? You've never been listened to. And God's gonna send a prophet, a Barnabas into your life, say, no, this person, has the, this person has what we need to be listening to. And some of you in here don't even have the courage sometimes to speak up because you don't feel listened to. But I'm here to tell you, the Lord's gonna start sending Barnabases. This is actually gonna happen to some of you. Some of you are gonna have someone come up to you and say, hey, I really feel like the Lord's gonna use you to save your family. That's gonna be a Barnabas saying, hey, you're, you, got, you got some Paul DNA in there. You have a message to preach. You have something on the inside of you. I believe that's gonna happen. But just like Paul, some of you in here, you're not unknown, you're too known. You're too known, just like Paul was. Like, no, we know where you've been. We know how you've been acting. We know where you came from. We know about your criminal history. We know about this, we know about that. And you also need a Barnabas that looks at you and says, I don't care what they've done. I'm looking at the inside. I see the call of God on their life, the plan of God on their life. I'm not looking in the natural, I'm looking in the spiritual. There's a call of God on their life. Some of you, there's nothing about your life that should say you should be a successful husband, <clears throat> a successful mom or a dad, a successful business owner. And I'm praying that God would send Barnabas into your life to tell you, you will be a good dad. You have good dad on the inside of you. You have good husband on the inside of you. You're gonna raise incredible children. You're gonna own a business. You're called to ministry. Some of you in here, that's what, that, that's what it is for you. It's like, you don't even know this. You think I could never be used. I sit in this room. I just come to church to get fed. That's what I'm here for. I, it makes me feel good, whatever. No, I'm telling you, the Lord is gonna start speaking to you in ways and send Barnabases into your life. Say, you know what? I'm glad you've been getting fed. It's time for you to start feeding. You have a message. You have a ministry. Amen? I know what this feels like. I've had Barnabases in my life that saw things in me that... that no one else saw, open doors that no one else could have opened. I, I think of a Dave Harvey in my life who years ago, um, he's the director of Bethel Leaders Network and we were members of the network and, and I'd been on some Zoom calls and long story short, uh, just, I'd been on some Zoom calls with him and I just, he was a Barnabas for me. He saw something in me, he saw something in our church that he, he thought was special. And uh, I remember after a series of conversations, um, uh, Dave said, hey, I want you to come to Reading. I want you to fly to Reading. I'm gonna have some meetings set up for you. I want you to talk to some people. And I was like, okay, great. And so I, I, I me and Leah and I, we fly to Reading. And the next thing you know, in one day, I had meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting with heroes of mine. I mean, some of the rooms that I was in, I just, I could not believe I was in a meeting with this person. And Dave's like, no, Braden, sh share, share with him what God's been speaking to you and what's going on in Midland and tell, tell him the story of what's going on in Midland. And so I had a chance to, to just to share what God was doing. And there was a, uh, a credibility given to me and a credibility given to our ministry and what's going on here. And if it wouldn't have been for a Dave Harvey, AKA Barnabas in my life, I would have never had that opportunity because someone saw in the spirit what wasn't there yet in the natural.
Every single person needs somebody like that in your life. Now, this is a unique message because the title of this message is everybody needs a Barnabas until you don't, until you don't. And so we're fixing to take a bit of a hard right turn. Can you handle a bit of a hard right turn so we can see the other side of the coin here? Just bear with me. Acts chapter 15. Let me just, let me just read this. Acts chapter 15. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're, how they're doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John Mark, but Paul insisted that they not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not shown up for work. Not shown up for work. Now, a little backstory, John Mark was actually Barnabas's cousin. So I don't know if he got invited on the trip because he was family. I don't know if it looked like he was ready. I, I don't know, but all I know is he got invited on the trip. He gets in the middle of the missions trip and he's like, mm, this is too hard. Don't want nothing to do with this. And he departs, he quits, he leaves. Let me read another translation. Acts, uh, in the New King James Version, actually the new NASB says, now it turned into such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left after being entrusted by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, uh, entrusted to the brothers by the grace of the Lord. And he was traveling through Syria, Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now there's a lot to unpack here, but what I want you to see here is first of all, we have a church split. This is, this, is an, this is a church split. This is a ministry. This is two people who were, I mean, heavy hitters, major, majorly influential in the launching uh, and, and the, the pioneering of the New Testament church. You've got Barnabas, you've got Paul. These are both guys who love the Lord, who think they've got the, the, the direction from God of what's supposed to happen, what's not supposed to happen. And over something seemingly as small of, should we take this guy with us or not? All of a sudden, two people that were close, close friends and had done a lot, all of a sudden were separated. Sometimes, and I'll just say this, this is the, this is the redemptive gift prophet in me that everything's black and white. There's gotta be a right and wrong. When I read this, I don't know if it's crossed your mind, but it did mine. I wanted to know, well, who was right? Anybody else say, hey, who are we, we rolling with? We rolling with Barnabas? We rolling with Paul? What's, 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 what's the deal here? And if I'm just being honest with you, there are times when it can be dangerous to nitpick over certain things because someone's gotta be right and someone's gotta be wrong. I know a lot of family drama that would go away if we wouldn't do that. Can I get a witness? But the Bible's consistent. God is consistent in that, in that times, in that many times, it will, it will put people on blast in the scripture. It will let us know who was right and who was wrong. It'll let us see the good, bad, and the ugly so that we'll see some things so as not to repeat them, amen? So we, we know that that's possible. And I, I, if I'm just being honest with you, this was not one that was initially so right in front of my face. In fact, if you were just to Google commentaries on, on the Paul and Barnabas split, you're gonna see all kinds of stuff. You're gonna see people that say, man, if it, if it wasn't for Barnabas, uh, if it wasn't for Barnabas, there would be no John Mark. And John Mark is the one who wrote the gospel of Mark. It's in the New Testament. And so some say, yeah, if it wasn't for a Barnabas who continued to believe in him and continued to stick with him, who knows? We, never, we may have never gotten the, the gospel of Mark. When I read that, I, and there, there are other things that I had looked at and I'm like, wait a minute, after this fight, how come the scripture and the Bible seems to follow Paul and how come Barnabas is never mentioned again? Because that's actually what happened. There, are, there is no more Barnabas Ministries International. He doesn't get mentioned again. And so for years I'm like, okay, it seemed obvious to me that the, the spirit of the Lord had gone with Paul, but you know, I, even through conversations with friends, which is why I love spiritual family and some pushback on some of this stuff. Are you sure about this? Are you sure about that? There's another perspective here. It, it caused me to double down and say, okay, Lord, I, I feel like I kind of need to know. Like what, what is the right way? Who is right here and why are they right? I don't just want to be right or, or someone to be right. I need to know why are they right? And it, it took some time, but all of a sudden, it's like it just jumped out on the, from the page uh, in verse 40. No, notice what it said here. 
Verse 39, now it turned into such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. Notice, Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left after, say that word with me, after. He left with something here. After being entrusted by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Paul had a revelation. At this point in his ministry, Paul had a revelation of some things that Barnabas did not yet have. Paul started his ministry in isolation, but he matured into family. Barnabas started his ministry in the family and he rebelled into isolation. Barnabas went alone because he had heard God. Paul went with the grace of God because, and was sent out by the brethren because he stayed connected to spiritual family. Paul, the rest of Paul's ministry is, in my opinion, is defined by this right here. He wasn't going alone. He didn't go alone. And the fact that they're having this conversation and the way that it's phrased lets you know, hey, this wasn't just an argument between Paul and Barnabas. Other brethren were involved in this. And so I want, you to, I want you to wrap your head around this. There's this conversation amongst the disciples, and this is, this is a little bit of the Braden International Version, so just bear with me. But here's what I see. I see some of the other disciples, because it says this, this agreement between them was sharp. This is what I see. Some of the other disciples going, Barnabas, bro, chill. Like, seriously, dude, like, you need to chill. Like, you're acting like the fact that he don't want John Mark going is like, this is the end of it. Like, it's over for him. Like, this is not what he's, we're saying here. Like, he's not ready. He's not ready. He, if he was ready, he wouldn't have quit in Pamphylia. And it's like, I, it's like you can see this conversation going because what I do know is when it was all said and done, Paul went being supported, entrusted. He went with a letter of recommendation from the other apostles, from the other brethren. And he went with the grace. Can I just say this? You ain't doing much ministry with no grace. You ain't fulfilling much call of God on your life with no grace. It ain't gonna happen. Which is why, what do we see here? Barnabas' story ends because he was so determined. Nope, I know this is the way things are supposed to be. And if I have to go alone, that's what I'll do. One of the most dangerous things you could do in your life is separate from spiritual family because you think you've heard something and know something that nobody else knows. Can I just say this? You might be right. You actually might be right, but I would propose staying connected to spiritual family is better for you than being right and isolated. The other thing I want us to see in this, we'll start kind of trying to, it's gonna be a bit of a crash landing, so it's just a bit of a warning ahead of time because there's not really a way to, this is such a fun message to hear, I'm sure. But the other thing I want us to see here is this isn't just about Barnabas. This is about the effects of a Barnabas and the, the potential effects of a Barnabas on the life of John Mark. You heard me say, the title of message is everyone needs a Barnabas until you don't. Everyone needs a Barnabas in your life, in their life at some point to say, hey, I see something in you that nobody else sees. And that is true. But I'm gonna tell you what you don't need a Barnabas to do. When discipleship shows up, when correction shows up, when confrontation shows up, let me say it a different way, when consequences for your decisions show up in spiritual family, someone in spiritual family, a spiritual mother or father in your life says no to something or confronts you on something, you know what you don't need? You don't need a Barnabas going, I can't believe they talked to you like that. I, I can't believe they told you you can't be on the worship team anymore. I can't believe you, I can't believe they said if you don't start chewing gum, you can't be a greeter. I didn't even smell your breath. I, I cannot believe someone would tell you you're not ready. I cannot believe someone would, would say, hey, I don't think you should start that business right now. How do they know your life? Did the Lord, what did the Lord tell you to do? Well, I feel like the Lord told me to start it. Well, then start it. You don't need, you don't need anybody else to, to tell you you need to do something. Exactly how Paul started his ministry. I didn't confer with a single human. And then 17 years later, he went, oh my gosh, 
by the revelation of God. I don't need to be doing this alone. I need the covering of spiritual family. Here's my, here's my thing. I actually, I actually think that it's strength. Let me say it a different way. I think we actually grow up in those times when there are actually consequences for our actions. Anybody got kids? Anybody got it? Have you ever noticed that it's actually innate in them to do the wrong thing? <laughs> they are naturally born with the devil. I mean, it's like just this strange partnership of like, I'm joking, don't, don't get, take that one too far. But let me tell you what they are born with, the flesh. And you know what the flesh wants to do? Listen to the devil. And it wants to do whatever it wants to do. And have you noticed that, especially when they're younger, you can't say, hey, this is not good for you. You shouldn't do this anymore. And they go, I agree. <laughs> I sense in my spirit that this is right. Mother, father, we shall go your way. You know I mean? <laughs> Have you noticed that, is that how that happens at all? No. no. You know what you have to do? You have to bring resistance. You start with resistance. In fact, according to scripture, one of the first things that you're supposed to do is question their behavior. Go back and read, it says, David never disciplined his own kids, not even by asking them, hey, why are you doing that? That is where godly discipline and correction begins. Going, hey, 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 whoa, hot rod, what's that little fit you're throwing there? Why are you doing this to your sister? Why are you doing that? You start with that. In hopes that what? That a light touch of correction and confrontation changes their behavior. But what do we all know? That don't always work. So you know what we do? We increase the pressure. We increase the pain. We increase the consequence. Why? We are training them. Resistance to authority leads to pain. Resistance to God's divine authority, which starts as your parents and grows into the scriptures and grows into a relationship with the Holy Spirit. What are we training them? If you don't do what mom and dad tell you to do, we're gonna start with a little bit of pressure. But if it ends up with a, a good old fashioned butt busting, I don't know if they even say that anymore, but that's what we say around our house, good old butt busting. Anybody ever got a butt busting? Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Which is in scripture. What do we do? We increase the pain. And we increase the pain until we go, until what, what happens? A yielding of our will. Not our, a yielding of their will. And we start with a little bit and we ramp it up until what? Until the behavior changes. When the behavior changes, what do we do? We pull back the pressure and we pull back the pain. And what do they learn in those moments? If I keep pushing against authority, there's pain. If I yield my life to authority, what happens? Freedom. Freedom. God always has and always will use the natural to teach us the spiritual. And I'm telling you that just like natural children sometimes need to see consequences for their actions or they'll never learn and they'll never change their behavior, so do spiritual children. And what's going on right here is Paul is coming in like a dad and going, hey, you're grounded. You're grounded. And Barnabas is going, I, I, I don't feel like there should be consequences for your actions. You know the most dangerous person in your life who it could be? The person who tries to convince you that you shouldn't have consequences for your actions. You need a Paul in your life when it's seeing the gold in you. <laughs> What you don't need is a Barnabas in your life. I think I said Paul, but you need a Barnabas in your life when it's seeing the goal. You don't need Barnabas trying to stick up for you when the Lord's taking you through a process of pressure and pain and cleansing because he sees what nobody else sees, which is if he doesn't understand this, if he doesn't change his behavior, it will not lead him into his destiny. Some of you will never ever fulfill a call of God on your life until you start embracing that pain and correction and rebuke is a part of the process. And here's the craziest thing about spiritual family, you actually have to sign up for it. You can go through the rest of your life if you want to, and you'll not have enough, you won't have a person that knows you, and you won't have a person that would dare confront you with anything because you've made it so, so clear, I am a, I'm a no-fly zone. 
It's this is me and God. If God needs to tell me anything, he'll tell me. Natural family, you didn't get a choice. You were born into it. You were born into what you were born into. But spiritual family is a little bit different. You gotta sign up for this. You gotta sign up for this. And you have to know that even good meaning people, good meaning people in the name of love will try to keep you from dealing with the pain, the consequence of some of your decisions. And yet the heavenly father knows it's the pain and consequences sometimes that says, hey, I ain't ever doing that again. Some commentaries give Barnabas credit for John Mark being what he is. And I would say the exact opposite. No, I think it's because Paul finally said, hey, you ain't coming this time. And until you learn not to quit, you won't come again next time. And something happened on the inside of a John Mark that went, bro, I gotta get tougher. I gotta get tougher. I can't be quitting. I can't be doing that anymore. This morning, I just need to be very transparent with you guys. Um, These are very difficult messages for me to preach. When I I feel like the Lord is asking me to preach something sharp, I know my my gift enough at this point to know that it can be very strong, but if not tempered correctly, it can in good intentions be hurtful. Remember Moses, when he comes out of the palace for one of the first times and sees the Egyptians beating up on his people and he, what does he do? He goes and kills one of the Egyptians. Yet what was Moses called to do? Kill all the Egyptians and deliver his people from Egyptian bondage. And it's like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Right heart, he knew he had a call of God on his life. He knew what it was even. He just did it the wrong way. He did it the wrong way. And sometimes in our immaturity, with, good, with a good meaning, we can do it the wrong way. And so when I'm preaching messages like this, I'm like, ah, Lord, I don't want this to hurt people. I don't want this to come across with the wrong spirit. I want the spirit of love. I want the Holy Spirit. I, want, I need you to teach me how to speak this, speak this truth, but it has to be in love or it's worthless. I'm just convinced that we're never gonna become the strong Christians that we're supposed to become unless we're, if we're never confronted in any way, shape or form. If we never have any kind of resistance in these areas. I was thinking back on a, on a, on a story. I came home, home, I came to church one day and this, I was 20, thinking about that Moses story and killing the Egyptian, but I, uh, I remember when I was, um, I think I was 23. I think I was 23 years old, 22, 23 years old. And um, there was a, my mom and dad, I, I can't go into the whole story, but basically my mom and dad had taken over. Leanne's family had, had died in the plane crash. And my mom and dad had taken over as the pastors there. The church was in shambles. I mean, there's just, there was a lot of emotion. There was just so much going on. It was a very sensitive time for all of us. And um, my mom and dad needed help. They, 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 it was just a tough time trying to replace uh, Monty and Susan. And so we come back, from, I come back from college. We leave, come back from Tennessee to help mom and dad. And uh, we wanted to give them a week off. They hadn't had a week off in God knows when. And so uh, we, we go to church and I, it was the first time they had taken some time off and I was gonna preach. Leanne was gonna handle the worship. And uh, we had this guy that had been showing up to our church for a while now. He was actually our drummer and he was actually a really good drummer. And at the time we did not have a drummer. We needed a drummer. But this guy, man, you wanna talk about rough around the edges. I mean, just, he was something. And um, he would show up to drum and he would be covered in grease, like just had gotten off of a frack job or something. I mean, just, just stunk, was covered in grease. And so Leanne would like, hey, uh, and he should say the guy's name. He said, hey, I need you to, can you like leave a change of clothes in your truck or something, or maybe we'll let you have a closet up here at the church where you can at least change clothes uh, before you drum. It's just, it's, I, I, want, I want there to be an uh, excellence on stage. And there was all these things and Leanne was trying to disciple this, this guy. And um, okay, okay, okay. Well, he never did it. He, he never, he'd show up and Leanne would be like, hey, we talked about this, can we, can we do this? Yeah, yeah, never did it. And if you know Leanne, you know that her fuse is like a mile long. I mean, uh, makes up for mine that doesn't exist and at times. And so I'll never forget coming, the, I mean, here I am supposed to preach. And I show up for, I show up for church one Sunday or that, or that Sunday and this guy's marching around the parking lot and he's, he kind of got that little, 
And I'm like, oh, this cannot be good. This is, this is not good. He's supposed to be in there on the drums and this ain't good. And I could tell something wasn't good. And so I, I walk up and I said, hey, what's going on? And he goes, well, apparently you can't worship God if you got grease on your pants. And I was like, yeah, I can see this is gonna go real well. And he said it so loud that there was another lady in the parking lot. And um, she overheard what was going on. So she comes over there and this is a staple. This lady was a staple in our church. And, um, and she goes, well, well, Pastor Brandon, what's going on here? I said, well, because I had asked the guy, I said, hey, what happened? Well, your wife told me that since I don't know how to wear the right clothes, I don't even get to play the drums today. Guess we ain't having no drums today. I said, well, I guess we're not. Maybe you should learn how to wear the right clothes. And he just looked at me like, I can't believe you told me that. And when I said that, now mind you, I've grown a little bit in my tact and how to <laughs> say some of these things. But, and the lady just, well, now Pastor Braden, I just, I just don't think you should be talking to him like that. And just to be honest with you, I don't think, it, I don't think the Lord cares what, if a guy's got grease on his britches when he's playing the drums. I just, I don't know if I should even be at church today. I said, you know what? I think you're right. I think you should get in your car and go home. And I said, tell you what, and the guy said the guy's name, I said, if you, with you out here marching around the parking lot, you're gonna probably make everybody else mad. I think you should get in your truck and you should go home too. And why don't we all just circle back next week and we see how our attitudes are. I called I call my dad and I said, hey, um, see what happened was, um, and I was, I, I actually got to tell you, <laughs> I'm going real vulnerable here. He got so mad at me. And so I quit. I said, he, he's like, Brandon, you can't talk to people like that. I was like, excuse me? I said, like, you're on vacation because I'm stepping in and I'm trying to protect your church from these people and their gossip and their bad attitude and you're yelling at me? I said, I quit. <laughs> it turned into this big old, now Braden, calm down, you know, calm down. Here's, here's my point. I think I have a point. Um, something in me knew, something in me knew. We have to teach people. We have to train people, whether it's in the area of excellence, honoring authority, whatever it is. And sometimes they're going to need to be confronted. And guess what? We had worship that day with no drums and everything was just fine. But man, it so bothered him. And the lady that over, it so bothered her. Now, mind you, to me, that was my Moses killing the Egyptian moment where it's like, hey, maybe the right thing, maybe you saw some things the right way, but there's a better way. You need to grow up, Hot Rod. If you know the story, Moses went and was in the wilderness for a long time growing up until the Lord said, okay, I think you're ready to do this the right way. But here's the, here's the other side of this. We also can't be people that say, you know what? Just keep wearing whatever you want. Don't ever learn to, to respect authority. Don't ever learn to honor the platform. Don't ever learn any of these things. Don't ever be someone that God can say something to. We can't be that either. We, if we can't be confronted, we cannot grow. If we cannot grow, we cannot be entrusted with power. If we have no power, the world will never see the real gospel. What did Paul say? I, I'm not coming with just a good message. I'm coming with power. The gospel is supposed to come with power and you cannot give power to immaturity. And you will stay immature if you cannot be confronted. And the last thing we need as a church is people that when someone gets confronted or you get called out on your sin or whatever, again, there's a right way to do that. But the last thing we need is someone say, I, just, I, I don't wanna go to a church that does that. That's saying you don't want to go to a church that disciples you. It starts with our kids. Uh, I, full, full circle, I read this article this, this morning. And uh, just give me a couple more minutes. This is a pretty funny story. Uh, I, I, was, I actually went an article. It was an online interview. And it was saying that uh, children are, um, I think it was 800 or 900%. Children are 800% more likely to be the worst version of themselves with their mother over any other person in their life. 
Now, this is validation for some of you moms because y'all been trying to convince your husband, hey, when you leave, the devil just drops right in him. I mean, this, he's in there, you know. And you're just, but can, again, this is, I'm, I'm kind of, just go with the story. But what in, in general, who are the moms in the relationship? Come here, baby. Come here, baby. It's okay. It's okay. And typically, who are the dads? <laughs> the disciplinarian. Discipline, yeah. Try that one more time. <laughs> and how many, how many relationships? A lot of them in here. Kids do something. What does mom say? You wait till your dad gets home. You wait till your dad gets home. Why? Correction's gonna come from him. And yet you wonder why they're 900, 800, 900% more likely to act like the devil when they're with you. They're not gonna become who they're called to become. If we don't embrace, it takes moms and dads. Love that does this at times and love that does this at times. And God's given us the natural to teach us the spiritual. If your church never confronts you, leave that church. If your church never offends you, leave that church. When I was young in ministry, I had prophet Ed Trout sternly speak to me one time. And he said, you need to stop, you need to quit trying to not offend people in your church. He said, you're just have all you got is a little country club because you won't confront anything. I was like, gosh, Ed, tell me how you really feel. And then he said, you need to confront them because that offense is a part of their journey and they'll never become who God's called them to be if they never work through that. And it's true. Raise your hand if you've ever been offended in church. Come on. Now we just have to be the people that stay there. Stay in that and let God do what he needs to do. Now I'm not saying stay under abusive or, or poor leadership. It's not what I'm saying. But I'm talking about good moms and dads that are only confronting you because they see the best in you and wants what's best for you. There are true Barnabas that sees what's in there. But then if they, they bring a Paul along that says, I see what's in there, but you're gonna sit the next couple plays out until you grow up a little bit. Because if you don't learn now, you won't learn ever. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you felt encouraged by today's message. If you need prayer or would like to connect with us, find us on social media or by going to renewlifechurch.com.